Welcome to the Make Disciples Podcast, a short weekly podcast where we will share topics, ideas, and resources useful to you in your effort to follow Jesus as a disciple. Welcome back to another episode of the Make Disciples Podcast. My name is Dan Rober, and it's a pleasure to have you here with us. Today, we're going to be doing something different. Today is the first part of a four-part series. We're going to be running, talking about the overthrow of Roe versus Wade. Back in June of 2022, in the Dobbs decision, we saw the reversal of Roe versus Wade, and it's something we've been praying for for years, decades, ever since Roe was first decided. And so this is the first of four episodes we'll have talking about this decision, as well as where we go from here. Our senior pastor, David McNeely, recorded a conversation with Jamie Brown, the executive director of a women's pregnancy center here in Tallahassee, as well as with Denise Harley, senior counsel over the director of Center for Life with Alliance Defending Freedom. And both of them provide their insights as experts on this subject, and we're going to hear different aspects of their conversation over the next four times. I'll let you know that you can also hear the entirety of this conversation uh, through a video that we'll release on our social media channels. Today, we're just going to talk a little bit about the history of Roe versus Wade and get to how we got to this current situation that we find ourselves. One note, uh, this uh, video was recorded while there was a little bit of thunder going on outside, and so you may hear just a little bit of that in the background. So without further ado, here's our senior pastor, David McNeely. Uh, thanks for coming and joining us today here uh, with two wonderful ladies who have devoted much of their time. I don't even know how many years collectively you have now that have been going towards uh, pro-life issues. And so that's what today is about. What does it look like to be pro-life for God's people outside of the, of the voting booth? For years and years, rightly or wrongly, some of the, the church tend to focus in on being pro-life in the voting booth, which praise God, that was a good thing. Um, but now that we've had this little tiny decision you may or may not have heard of uh, came down here not so long ago, what does it look like for us as a church, not just Wildwood, but the church, Big C in America, to be a pro-life um, in there? So I wanted to just uh, pick your brains on it. But first of all, just tell us a little bit about yourselves. Tell us uh, what you do, and then, uh, and then tell us how did you get drawn in specifically into spending so much time on this particular issue? So Jamie, why don't you kick us off? Okay, well, I'm Jamie Brown. I'm the executive director of a women's pregnancy center, and it is just my real and privilege to be so. Um, I started in the pro-life ministry, sort of kicking and dragging in by a friend (laughs) and became a volunteer crisis counselor and absolutely loved it. Just loved being able to um, care for these women that are came in just scared and confused and just loved it. And uh, then, of course, progressed, as I call it, got demoted and came on staff a long time ago. <laughs> and so here I am. Good deal. And you're married. I'm married to wonderful, wonderful husband, Glenn, for 45 years and have two grown sons and most importantly, have four grandbabies. That you spoil. That I spoil. Yes, it's my job and I excel at it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Their ages real quick. What are they? Uh, 21, 28 and 12. Denise, how about you? I'm Denise Harley. I'm senior counsel and director of the Center for Life at Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a long title, me saying that I'm a pro-life attorney. And I work at a faith-based group that um, 
worked to overturn Roe versus Wade. I never thought I would get to work on pro-life issues going to law school. Um, always been, um, always had pro-life issues on my heart, even from a young age. I think knowing that I was raised in a Christian family and taught um, where sex is appropriate and what marriage means, I always cared so much for those who maybe didn't have that same environment and same teaching and what that led to in their life. And rather than um, judge them, which was probably my first instinct, I thought I should care about them and pray for them. So it's always been something that I've been part of, but I never thought going to law school that I'd actually get to do it full time as a career. And through a very weird series of steps that's too long to explain, God just put me in on the life team at Alliance Defending Freedom. And so I full time work on um, protecting moms and babies from the harms of abortion. Well, uh, for both of you, thanks. Um, you're married also, and you've got uh, some youngins as well. I am. Yeah, been married for ten years to Jason, and we have a four year old, a two year old, and an eight month old. It's <laughs> great. She's busy. Yeah, she is. And I tell your husband this uh, from time to time. I said, if he keeps that dream alive, he can get as big as me one day. And as uh, the, the guy works out, goals. I think, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, an incredible shape. Just make sure I want to be with him in a dark alley rather than him on the opposing side. <laughs> yes, there. we feel very protected <laughs> good. with our muscle man. Now, for those of you watching and listening, uh, these ladies will not, well, they won't tell you um, this, um, but you guys are well known in your industry itself. So we have one of the, the uh, a center that gets recognized on a consistent basis on a national scale, and we do, and you have lobbied in front of the Supreme Court and you've uh, argued cases. And so one of the advantages we have right now in this room is I just want to pick your brains um, for a little bit. These are things that you have thought about a lot. You uh, are, are in it day in and day out. Um, and so I just want to ask you a couple of questions uh, about this subject. How, how can we be pro-life now outside um, of the voting booth? Denise, could you do this? And by the way, there is thunder. Thunder and lightning, you'll hear it. Just ignore it. Uh, <laughs> Give us from the legal standpoint, um, the Reader's Digest version, how did we get here and uh, to this moment now where we are? So you can go back as far as you want and fill us in, legally speaking, how we got here. Sure. Well, Roe versus Wade was just a tragic decision in 1973 when the Supreme Court, um, a majority said that they were discovering a new right of privacy that they decided included the right to kill an unborn child. Um, that turns most state laws on their heads because almost every single state completely protected life from abortion. And that is how our nation has been ever since, you know, back into the founding of our nation, the common law. It was well understood that abortion was I mean, certainly not a right, but it was actually a, a criminal offense where um, anyone who performed an abortion was punished. So it was a it was a shocking a trauma to our nation that suddenly just disregarded the sanctity of life. It was not justified in the decision. Um, they sort of said, well, it might be coming from the first or fourth or fifth or ninth or 14th amendment. It's sort of emanating from the idea of privacy that, that we know is in there. And um, immediately kicked off just a very deadly regime where the United States was one of only a handful of nations alongside North Korea and China that allowed abortion on demand essentially throughout pregnancy and even mandated that elective abortion be available into the sixth month of pregnancy everywhere. Um, there were many attempts to overturn Roe. One big decision came up in the 90s that everyone thought was an opportunity to, to correct it. 
And that case ended up just having three justices sort of have a, have a controlling opinion that didn't justify Roe, uh, no longer talked about a privacy right, but started talking about a, it's actually a liberty right or a bodily autonomy right, um, and, and came up with some sort of confusing legal tests where now whether you can have an abortion is based on whether baby is viable or not, can live outside the womb. Um, and, and really just cause a lot of legal confusion, obviously social sort of desensitization. Um, cause when you're told something is a constitutional right over and over and over again, and people, you know, in my generation have, have never lived in a world where abortion was, um, you know, unthinkable or illegal, it, it has an effect and the numbers of abortions went up and up and up and up. And, you know, the statistics we've seen over the past couple of decades are, are horrible. More than 63 million babies killed through abortion since Roe was decided. But because the roots were so incorrect legally, and because there's no constitutional right and no basis for that, nothing in the text of the Constitution, nothing in our nation's history or traditions or, or structure of our laws ever supported that decision, it was vulnerable. And so when the court's composition became folks who were willing to be committed to the text and what the law actually says, and ignore some of the social pressures to, you know, do what was maybe popular or thought to be progressive. Um, we were able to finally just attack the decision head on, say Roe was egregiously wrong. It's completely incorrect. It's unjustifiable and it has to be overturned. And thankfully, on June 24th, 2022, in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, the Supreme Court overturned Roe. And we are now in a whole new world where finally, once again, the people and their elected rep representatives can choose to fully protect life from the moment of conception. And, um, and that's what we're starting to see. And it's really exciting. So, so there's some confusion out there for some. So in other words, uh, Roe versus Wade uh, made, uh, made it um, a right for women to be able to choose this. In the Dobbs decision, though, it did not make abortion illegal. Is that correct? Correct. It, it, all it did was it took the, the, uh, the, the place of decision-making back into the hands of the states. Mm -hmm. Correct. Okay. The people, um, either through Congress or through the states and their representatives, can decide what the policies are going to be. And so that means places like California and New York are still going to have elective abortion on demand through all nine months of pregnancy, possibly, probably with taxpayer funding. And all sorts of incentives for people to come there and have abortions. But in other states, we're seeing that the people have long been waiting for this opportunity. They had trigger laws in place so that the moment Roe was overturned, all unborn children and their moms would be protected from abortion. And so now we know that's what the American people have wanted all along. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Make Disciples podcast. We would love it if you would subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. This podcast can be found in Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. My thanks to Katherine Eckhart, the producer of this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Wildwood Church in Tallahassee, Florida.